are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Uh, today we uh, land the plane in our Reset Sermon Series last Sunday, uh, doing that before we get into 1 Peter next week. Um, but we're going to end it by looking at perseverance. You know, what does it look like to endure to the end in the Christian life, to make it? And then how do we do it? You know, in a world that is full of trouble and suffering and hardship and grief and pain and loss, with an enemy that's real and active and hate-filled and would love nothing more than to wreck us and steal from us and destroy us and kill us, how do we make it to the end? If you've missed any of this sermon series, I encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons, not because I want you to listen to me, but it's really the setting the foundation for what we want to be here at Emmanuel Church, what we want to build upon as the people of God, what we want to be as far as called ones, sanctified ones in Christ. What practices has He called us to put in place? What means has He given us to be faithful and marked for, his, for use in this life by Him. You know, everything we've talked about these last 14 weeks have served to lay that solid foundation which we're going to continue to build upon as a church and as individuals in the days to come so that we can have a Christ-centered, gospel-centered culture here at this church. But our text for this morning is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. 10 through 20 famous Armor of God passage. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many coloring sheets I've colored uh, as a kid where uh, the you know, Christian life is depicted as, you know, the soldier in armor. Maybe we have one today. I don't know. Um, you know, uh, where this knight, you know, in armor, putting on these pieces of armor here in Ephesians chapter 6. But, you know, stories of knights and shining armor, riding in to slay the enemy and save the damsel in distress, so to speak, I mean, they're embedded in our imaginations even at a young age. You know, stories of King Arthur and Camelot, you know, depicted in movies or stories we may hear or see growing up. I mean, I remember the movie First Night with like Richard Gere and Sean Connery back in the day. Uh, And then Heath Ledger was in A Knight's Tale. We have all these, you know, these stories, right, that we watch and that we hear and we read about. This reality of good versus evil, where good overcomes, and, and through the bravery and sacrifice of a, few, uh, of a few heroes, these stories just resonate with us on a variety of, of ways. But one of the common threads that runs through most of these stories and movies depicting knights and, and enemies is that the enemy, 99% of the time, at least I, I'm sure there's one out there where this is not true, but 99% of the time, the enemy is a physical enemy, right? It's, it's the knight in armor can, can see the enemy. They use a physical sword to fight the enemy. Now, the enemy can be wounded or die in battle, giving an indication that you've overcome and won. You can see where the enemy is attacking you from, and you prepare yourself for that attack. It's a physical enemy, flesh and blood enemy. But I've yet to see a movie about a knight in shining armor who fought an invisible enemy. The one you can't see. An enemy who's hard to pin down just how and when and where he's going to attack you from. 
what angle he's going to be coming at you from, what weapons he's going to choose to use to try to wound you, try to kill you or maim you. I mean, a good recent example of an invisible enemy is COVID, right? We're still fighting that enemy in a lot of ways. The world wasn't shut down and brought to its knees by vast armies led by strong commanders. The world wasn't halted due to weapons being dropped from the skies, flooring buildings and people. We didn't shut everything down because of terrorists wreaking havoc upon our nation and world. What brought us to our knees as a world and caused years of devastation and fear and uncertainty was something invisible, microscopic, couldn't see it. We didn't even know when COVID would attack or where, how severe it would be when it came. It was scary, especially those first few months, and we didn't know what was going on. We weren't even sure what weapons to use to fight this. It's like, wash your hands. Okay, great. And this invisible enemy was devastating the entire world. But Paul here in Ephesians 6, as he wraps up this letter to the church in Ephesus, he brings our attention to our attention another enemy, the greatest enemy, the invisible enemy behind every piece of suffering and pain and death experienced in this world. And he seeks to prepare us, Paul seeks to prepare us, not necessarily to fight, but to stand firm. To stand. Because the fact that we are told to put on armor assumes two things. One, it assumes that we have an actual enemy. And two, it assumes that he will inevitably, definitely attack us. So how do you withstand the attacks from this enemy you can't even see? How do you make it to the end of this Christian life faithful to Christ and faithful to the gospel? Let's jump in. Let's take a look. These 10 verses this morning. Read with me again uh, verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. This is Paul's main point. It's his thesis. He's going to spend the next nine verses unpacking. Be strong in the Lord. It can be summed up like this. Strength from Jesus is necessary to persevere in this life. The strength from Jesus is necessary to persevere in this life. That may feel elementary, like a no-brainer, but I believe this elementary concept is one that we forget more often than not. We forget that we are dependent upon the Lord to help us get through. We cease to pray. We cease to express dependence upon Him on a regular basis. Yet it's so elementary that we need Him, right? We need Him to make it through this life. Now, Paul's already discussed uh, this strength, this, this strength, this power, a couple of places already in the letter of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, he says the power, this power is the power God used to raise Christ from the dead. It's the strength that he's now given to us who believe in Christ. In Ephesians 3, 16, it's the power, the strength that has been, uh, been the content of Paul's prayers for the Ephesians, that they would be able to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, have the strength to walk through this Christian life, faithful to Christ. And this command to be strong in the Lord is throughout the pages of Scripture. At a key juncture in the life of David, if you go back to the Old Testament, when he's running from Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6 says that in his time of trouble, David, quote, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And Joshua, on the cusp of the promised land, about to go into this land full of all these enemies, he's told numerous times to be strong and courageous. 
The prophet Zechariah prophesied a day in Zechariah 10 where God would gather his people from exile and, quote, make them strong in the Lord. It all sounds good, right? Be strong, be strong, be strong. But why is it important? One, and then how do we do it? I mean, what are the means of strengthening ourselves in the Lord? Well, Paul, like a good writer, anticipates our questions and he begins to explain what this looks like in the next few verses. And he gives us three crucial insights into what it looks like to persevere in Christ through this life. Three insights here. How do we stand firm and maintain and cling to the faith in a broken world with an enemy bent on our destruction? He wants nothing good for you. He wants to rob you of all joy and life in this life. How do we make it to the end? Well, first, Paul tells us, number one, that faithful perseverance is an active and passive endeavor. It is an active and passive endeavor. Look at verses 11 through 13 again. Paul writes, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. All right, so first way faithful perseverance is active and passive is there in verse 11. We put on armor that God provides. So you put on armor, active, that God provides, passive. In this battle against an invisible enemy, we cannot conjure up the resolve and the strength within ourselves to fight this battle. We don't possess within us the weapons necessary, the armor, the resolve, the strength to fight this enemy. But rather... We are dependent upon God to supply all we need to fight. And listen, we've talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning again. Christian victory in this life does not happen by way of osmosis. All right, It's not like you trust Christ, you start following Jesus, and you just sit back in your lazy boy and just wait for the Holy Spirit to begin doing things in your heart and your life apart from taking some kind of active role in that. What I mean by that is this. There's, this. there's the key difference between justification and sanctification. All right, Two good theological words that we should all know. Justification, I actually talked about this with somebody on Thursday. Justification is being in right standing with God. All right, It is a legal declaration that you are declared innocent before a righteous judge. You have been freed from the penalty of your sin. That's justification. And that is completely 100% a work of God. 100%. It's by grace you're saved, right? Not works. You are completely passive in that. He does all the work. It's to transplant the righteousness of Christ that we need to be made right with God in us in exchange for our sin. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. But sanctification, the process of growing into maturity in the Christian life, is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's all God's grace. All right, let's not confuse that. It's all God's grace. But there's an active and passive role in sanctification. I mean, Philippians 2.12. Let's think about Philippians 2.12. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
All right? That's not saying to earn God's favor. Once you are saved, you're working to experience the joys of salvation. Work those out with fear and trembling. For, so that's active, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So work it out, active, as God is working, passive. Active and passive, right? That's why in the Christian life, we are actively engaged in the word. We are actively on our knees in prayer. We are actively in groups confessing sin. We are actively gathering together with the body. We are actively meeting with our gospel communities. Why? Because we trust that in all these active endeavors, all these active acts of grace, that God is working in us through the Spirit to make us more like Christ. It's active and passive. It's a partnership here with the Holy Spirit. So God has given us armor by his grace, church, but you got to put it on. Put it on. Why? Well, end of verse 11, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil, Satan, the great enemy of God and his people. We put on the armor of God because this enemy is scheming to bring about your destruction and my destruction. And this enemy, Paul further explains in verse 12, is not a physical enemy. We've established that, but it's, a, it's not a flesh and blood enemy. If it were a flesh and blood enemy, we might be able to conjure up in our flesh and blood the, the ability to fight him on our own. But he's not a flesh and blood enemy. Therefore, spiritual means and methods are necessary to effectively fight this enemy. And Paul also tells us that our enemy has some semblance of authority in this world. I mean, 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So there's some authority underneath the ultimate authority that God has that Satan and his minions have in this world. That's what all these words communicate. Authorities, rulers, powers, spiritual forces. All these terms describe an enemy with some semblance of authority in this fallen, broken world. But remember, remember, that although we engage in this battle against a very real, potent enemy that's secondly active and passive, we fight an enemy, active, that Christ has already defeated. Passive. We fight an enemy that Christ has already defeated. This is Colossians 2, 13 through 15. It'll be on the screen for you. Just follow along with me. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. With Christ, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then here it is, the same language. Here it is. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ, in him. Same language. You know, at the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame. It's like when you cut the head off a snake. All right, you cut the head off a snake. I've never done that before. Maybe you have. Um, I hope I never have to. Um, but the body is still like wiggling around, right? And the head can still bite you and hurt you for a certain amount of time. I mean, that's exactly what has happened here with Satan. At the cross, this ancient serpent, Satan, has been defeated. Jesus cut off his head, but he's still wiggling around and he can still bite you and wound you, and even kill you, possibly, with that severed head. 
And verse 13 here uh, wraps it up. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So we fight and we fight hard, but we keep in mind that the enemy we fight has already been defeated. That we are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. That we are victorious because Christ has been victorious. And that's our starting point. That's the foundation of our fight. It's not to earn victory necessarily. Christ has done that for us. So we fight off the enemy. Fight off the enemy. And that's the starting point. So faithful perseverance, active and passive. Second, faithful perseverance is primarily defensive, not offensive. That's not offensive, like I offended you, but offensive, all right? Not defensive, or sorry, primarily defensive, not offensive. Look at this, verses 14 to 17. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of, bless, I can't speak, breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, each piece of armor here, besides the sword, is used to defend. Right? It's to defend you, essentially. I mean, along with that, the language of standing firm or withstanding, it occurs four times in these verses. And that's communicating that the primary use of that which God gives us is for protection and defensive measures, not for offensive measures. And each piece of armor gives us further awareness of Satan's schemes that Paul alludes to in verse 12. There's a reason behind each piece of armor and the tactics of the enemy. Uh, Sun Tzu, uh, in The Art of War, um, he says, If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you'll also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. So Paul lets us in a little bit here on who our enemy is and his tactics to attack us. Each piece of armor tells us something about his tactics. So what are these pieces and what do they tell us? First, belt of truth. The belt of truth. We put on the belt of truth because our enemy is a liar. He's a liar. Uh, in John 8, Jesus is having a confrontation with the religious leaders again, and he calls them sons of their father, the devil. <laughs> it's uh, not a great way to, to make friends. Um, and the reason he calls them sons of their father, the devil, is because in verse 44, he says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The NIV says that he, uh, he speaks, when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue. His own character is rooted in untruth. I mean, the very first recorded act we have of Satan is him deceiving Adam and Eve, causing them to doubt God's goodness and his character towards them. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, deceiving us by calling good evil and evil good. He's a deceiver. If Satan tempts us through lies, this will be good for you. It'll feel good. It's really not that bad. You deserve this. You deserve it. You worked hard. You deserve it. Come on, just, it's just that old, old repressive rules talked about by a guy in a pulpit. They don't apply to you anymore. 
You're free. Do what you want. In fact, God doesn't disapprove of those things. He actually approves them. You should do them. Come on, come on, come on. So in order to combat the lies of our enemy who seeks to steal from us and kill us and destroy us, we strap the truth around our waist as a belt. You know, there's a phrase that occurs in the Old Testament that I love. It's kind of antiquated, but I love it. It says, gird up your loins. Gird up your loins. Basically, prepare yourself for battle. And we gird up our loins, so to speak. We prepare ourselves with the truth. Because the enemy is a liar. You know, truth fights lies. Truth is not relative. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There may be your experience and my experience, but there's the truth. There's the truth that's universal, that applies to everyone. The truth is rooted in the word and character of God, used to fight the lies of the enemy. So we strap on the belt of truth. Second, we put on the breastplate of righteousness, for our enemy is an accuser. The name Satan literally in Hebrew means accuser. And this is how his schemes work. He entices us with those lies. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And then when we do it, when we give in to sin, he turns right around and he becomes our accuser. I can't believe you did that. You're such a loser. You're such a hypocrite. You call yourself a Christian? You're a deacon? You're an elder here at Emmanuel Church? And you did that? You keep doing it over and over and over again. You are so pathetic. You're like a dog. Our enticer becomes our accuser, condemning us for the very thing he tempted us to do. So we put on righteousness. We stand firm against the schemes of the devil by reminding ourselves where our righteousness is found. That it's not found in our actions. That our righteousness is found, it's like we talked about a couple of weeks ago and every week, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel to ourselves every day. and We preach the gospel to one another every day. A gospel that's not full of accusation and condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, but a gospel that's full of redemption in the person of Christ Jesus. Zechariah 3, I love this text. Zechariah 3, the prophet Zechariah has this vision of Joshua, the high priest at that time. And in this vision, Joshua, the high priest, is standing before the angel of the Lord, which he believed to be Jesus. He's standing before Christ. And as he's standing before Christ, Satan is over here to his right, accusing him as he's standing before Jesus. And he silences Satan in this vision. He silences Satan, Jesus does. And he says, remove the filthy garments from Joshua. Behold, I've taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness, clothing ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. It's to protect ourselves against the accusations of the enemy who seeks to condemn you to accuse you when you sin, after he entices you. And by putting on that breastplate that God gives us, we remind ourselves that our enemy needs to be silenced. Christ has silenced him. Third, we got to speed this up. Third, 
They're not this long. We put on shoes of readiness, shoes of readiness, for our enemy brings chaos and confusion. All right? And this may be a little confusing, but the shoes of readiness here are given by the gospel of peace. All right? So peace, confusion, and chaos. Talked about this a few weeks ago, but this brings to mind the text in Isaiah 52, 7, Romans 10, 15, that Paul quotes, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? We have these shoes laced with peace that no matter how crazy and confusing this world may become, and Satan loves to operate that way, he loves to muddy the water, so to speak, and make things a little more confusing and chaotic than they would be normally. But although that's happening, we're able to stand firm in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the, of the confusion. It's also a readiness not only to stand firm in the midst of that, but shoes you walk in to bring good news to others in the midst of that same confusion and chaos. You know, wars are rooted in chaos and confusion, right? Smoke, you know, blow, things blowing up, like a lot of tactics used to confuse the enemy. That's what wars are rooted in. And if this life is a battle to claim the victory already won for us, we need to be ready to proclaim peace to others fighting a losing fight in this world. Who have the arms of the enemy and say, come over to the side of the victors. Come over. It's by God's grace. He's won the battle for us. Come over. Come over. Come over. It's the gospel of peace in the midst of chaos and confusion. So put the shoes on our feet. Fourth, we take up the shield of faith for our enemy brings doubt. Take up the shield of faith for our enemy brings doubt. Satan loves to sow seeds of doubt in our hearts every day. Doubt in the truth of God's word. Doubt around the goodness of God's heart. Doubt around the provision of God's hand. Doubt around the plans he has for his children. Just doubt. This kind of ties into number one. That Satan's a liar. And he seeks to shade the truth with doubt. But in taking up the shield of faith, grabbing that shield God has given to us, so to speak, we remind ourselves that the God we serve is trustworthy, that He's good, that He's for us. We believe in faith the promises of God. And this belief, this faith, intercepts the fiery arrows of doubt that tend to pierce our hearts. And we seek to walk in faithfulness. Fifth, we put on the helmet of salvation for our enemy brings death. The helmet of salvation for our enemy brings death. Helmets, uh, if you're putting on a, I mean, we have our kids put helmets on by law, you know, to ride their bikes and stuff. Helmets protect the most important part of our bodies, our heads, right? I mean, so much research has been done even over the last few years in like CTE and chronic brain issues that, from concussions and other injuries. I mean, the brain is the central command center of the body, right? You take somebody out, you take out their head, right? You hurt them in their head. This helmet of salvation met the metaphor here alludes to Isaiah 59:17. Isaiah 59:17, in the context, is referring to a helmet of victory that's rooted in God's salvation for his people. The protection for those of us in Christ, the protection the piece of armor protecting the most vital part of our metaphorical spiritual body, so to speak, is the piece of armor representing the victory of Christ to accomplish our salvation. That our heads will not be touched. There will not be a mortal wound inflicted upon our heads, for we wear the helmet of salvation. And salvation cannot be taken away. Christ has won that for us. 
Christ's victory brings life. We wear that life on our heads. For Satan seeks to bring death to us. And lastly, the only offensive weapon here, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We take this up, for our enemy attacks us daily. Every day. How do we know truth to combat lies? How do we know righteousness to combat accusations? How do we know peace to combat chaos? How do we know faith to combat doubt? How do we know salvation to combat death? How do we know the promises around these things? It's through God's word to us. And we realize through taking up this sword to fight off the enemy's attacks that we aren't fighting in our own strength. We aren't fighting an unwinnable battle, but as we said before, we are fighting a war that's already been won. So we take up this sword daily to remind us to put our armor back on daily. We don't need to sit back unprepared and wait for the attacks to come. They're going to come. And we take the initiative to put on the armor of God that he provides every day taking up our sword to combat the schemes of the devil for we live our lives each day understanding that attack is coming. It's coming. So we need to prepare ourselves every day when those attacks come. And it's not always an outright, full-blown, obvious attack. Subtle attacks oftentimes. But we need to have the wherewithal to understand that we are in a war, we're in a battle every day. So faithful perseverance is active and passive, primarily defensive rather than offensive. And third, faithful perseverance is pursued together. It's pursued together. Verses 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So the first way perseverance is pursued together is we pray for one another to endure. We pray for one another to endure. We are actively interceding on behalf of one another for one another's endurance in this life every day. Each day, there needs to be the name of at least one other believer on your lips and in your heart. Endurance in this life will not happen if you are alone on the battlefield. We fight together. We fight alongside one another. I love the scenes in movies where two people are fighting the enemy together, and at some point they stand back to back. I'm seeing that. I think about Lord of the Rings when I think about this. They stand back to back, right? And they're fighting enemies from each side. That's it. That's the picture. I mean, you think Satan, the great deceiver, our great foe, will only seek to take you out by head-on attacks? Man, you're lying to yourself. He's going to seek to blitz you from all sides, places you don't see coming. So we need one another to pray for one another, to fight with one another daily, battling, not with the means of the world, but with the means God provides, His Word, His Spirit, Prayer, together, not alone. And then last, while we pray for one another, while we do battle with one another, we also boldly declare our deliverer. We endure, church, we endure by reminding one another that deliverance is coming, that rescue is coming, 
that the sins you consistently are tempted with over and over and over again that are kicking your tail, those sins will one day, you will be fully delivered from them. That the battle doesn't rage forever, but there's coming an end to the battle and there's a deliverer coming to take you home. We boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel to ourselves and to one another. You know, this entire, this entire Reset Sermon series has been intended to remind us of the gospel, to remind us of what Christ has done, and then challenge us to live our lives in accordance with His work. And ultimately, faithful perseverance in this life, church, is rooted in Christ. We end where we started this sermon. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And we persevere because Christ has persevered. We endure with the strength that He provides, for He made it to the end. And He has the strength, strength enough to give it to us to make it to the end as well. I'm going to close here with, with Psalm 18. Some words of Psalm 18. This is King David writing in Psalm 18. Let's receive this this morning. For who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Let's pray together.